you're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Then he slithered and slunk with a smile most unpleasant around the whole room, and he took every present. Pop guns and bicycles, roller skates, drums, checkerboards, tricycles, popcorn, plums, and he stuffed them in bags. Then the Grinch very nimbly stuffed all the bags one by one up the chimbley. Um, that was a reading from How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> and I stole this copy of How the Grinch Stole Christmas from the school library. <laughs> <laughs> it literally says Grinch. We will post a picture for posterity's sake. G-R-E-N-C-H. I don't know who bound this book, but it's, they made a mistake. And it's a treasure and I'm never giving it back. No. Are you feeling holly and jolly? I sure am. I've had enough wine to justify that, for sure. I haven't felt holly or jolly. There's no snow, and I work holiday retail, so... We've also had our Christmas decorations up since November 1st, so maybe they're wearing off. Maybe. We did get two smaller trees to go with our small tree. Well, it's because I had to leave that horrible Christmas decorating, Christmas tree decorating class where uh, no one tried, and it was just babysitting for horrible boys. <sighs> yeah. Rich people. Rich people. Just dropping their kids off, being like, well, you do something. And you're like, cool. Man, this is Wendy's. <laughs> I prepared so much stuff for them to do, and then they literally just sat there talking about, oh, I didn't tell you this. I don't remember why it came up, but they were talking about, like, the Mona Lisa. And mm-hmm. someone was like, where was the Mona Lisa made? And this five-year-old, this kindergartner, was like, obviously the Mona Lisa was made in China, because everything is made in China. <laughs> Wow. That's a weirdly (laughs) astute observation. I mean, totally wrong, but an interesting social commentary. I just want to know where he got it from. I was like, that is fascinating. What what are the conversations being held in that house? I would love to know. Um, Every once in a while, I'm like, God, rich people make their kids horrible. Like, they're so selfish and blah, 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 blah. And then sometimes I remember when I was working at summer camp, I would be like, helping the kids put their trunks away or something like as their counselor like Mm -hmm. I was not help (laughs) so to speak and their parents would tip me like I would get slid a 20 what yes and I was not the only person this happened to ever every once in a while we'd get we'd get just like a 20 which is like legit because you do not make that much money as a counselor but it did feel a little bit gross where you were like I actually do this as like a labor of love um, and this is my summer job. So, I do not need your 20. I mean, I kind of need your 20, but that was kind of gross. Like, this is not a hotel. No. Not a bellhop. No. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, ugh. Gross. I mean, I could always use $20. <laughs> yeah, no, but like the, kind of the concept of it is like, Oh, yes. Gross. And it does make you feel weird, but you're mm-hmm. not going to give it back. Actually, oh, I don't the know rule, what to do with it this. was funny, the rule, like, I, for our, like, the, um, our staff leader was, like, you have to refuse it on the first try. That was the rule. Yeah. Yep. We'd be like, oh, no, thank you, that, like, this is my job, this is a labor of love. And if they insist, then you keep it. So, the worst was the parents who were like, you know what, you're right, and put the 20 back. <laughs> be like, wait, I was kidding. That is even worse. It is worse, because that means they have no intention of giving it to you, and they knew you were nice enough to refuse it. Rich people. <laughs> uh, honestly. Truly. Um, speaking of rich people and also capitalism, or maybe consumerism, consumerism, yep, commercialism, both of those things. Yeah, let's talk about how the Grinch stole Christmas. 
So, everybody, this is your special holiday edition of the Teen Wolf Rewolf podcast, a podcast where we are going to talk about one of me and Julia's favorite movies, the 2000 How the Grinch Stole Christmas, starring Jim Carrey, directed by Ron Howard. And I want to emphasize that this is not one of our favorite Christmas movies. It's just like, full stop, one of our favorite movies. We quote it daily. Constantly. And like, there's both, both of us have parts of this movie that have like snuck into our like everyday vernacular that we quote like to people who do not like this movie as much as us. And they don't have, they have no idea. No. I am, I am constantly just being like, oh, dinner with me? I can't cancel that again. I call things hideodorous all the time, which is so funny because that's like a throwaway line in this movie. It has nothing to do with anything. Oh, it's the same thing with like when he throws Max out the window and he's like, wrongo. My yeah. sister and I all the time. If we do something even like remotely not the right way, wrongo. Oh, no. Yeah. Me and my sisters have so many things about this movie. We're like constantly quoting. It is, it's a family affair, this movie, because you're either a family who loves this movie or a family who is terrified by it. I think this one is very specifically me and my sister. Like, my parents could not care less, and I think my brother would probably appreciate the physical comedy aspects of it, but, like, this and Love Actually are the two movies that my sister and I will sit down every Christmas to watch, and lo- I'm not, t- Love, Love Actually, Actually is trash. It is objectively garbage. It is a horrible movie. It is it is trash. I'm not going to sit here and defend it. It's just what we watch every Christmas. This is actually good. The Grinch is actually very good. Yeah. Extremely good. It, like, makes good points. Mm-hmm. Love actually is just kind of like, oh, it's so silly and British. Yeah. It's um, so, well, really good Christmas we're having here. For those of you who are looking for some, like, more pop culture criticism about Christmas movies, Lindy West wrote a review of Love Actually that I read every year because it is so funny. And her opening observation is, of course, this fucking movie about Christmas opens in a fucking airport. How much more arrogant and rich could you possibly get thinking that airports are the most wonderful place in the world? It's very, very good. Highly recommend. True. I've read that too. It is phenomenal. It's scathing and true yes. because that movie is trash. There's also an article of a man who like tries to piece together the plot of Love Actually based on people's tweets. <laughs> That's never really funny. It. I feel like I see like bits and pieces every year, and like my parents sit down to watch it, and I'm like, deuces, and I like go and do something else. It's legitimately awful, but it's one of those things. I, I feel like I've mentioned before that I used to watch um, the Nicole Kidman bewitched Will Ferrell film constantly because it was just the movie that I'd put on while I was like cleaning my room because there are parts of it that are just really charming and stupid and funny and weird and I feel like that's my the Christmas version of that is love actually yeah yeah Mm, yeah. for me like personally I weirdly feel like the Christmas version of that is elf for you I have never understood the elf elf appeal no I don't like elf either I can't handle that level of secondhand embarrassment yeah, if I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna expend it on something that's like actually good filmmaking, which is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. The only thing I'll sit through secondhand embarrassment for. That's fair. It's funny because I was saying to Julia earlier that like my favorite Christmas movies are like, and my family's favorite Christmas movies are the ones that are just horribly sad. Like every year we get together and we watch It's a Wonderful Life, and yes, It's a Wonderful Life has like a happy ending, so to speak. No, but I that movie is so awful, I can't watch it. It is devastating, and we sit there for all, we always start, we started on Christmas Eve and we're like we're gonna watch It's a Wonderful Life, and this year we'll start it before midnight. And no, we always started at midnight. That movie is three hours long, and at the end it's just all of us kind of weirdly crying at each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a really beautiful family tradition. Our other Christmas movie is Titanic. A movie that takes place in April and is about the Titanic sinking. 
I didn't realize the Titanic sunk in April. April 12th. Maybe April 14th. Mm, now I'm confused. It sunk on one of those. Have you ever been to like the Titanic Museum exhibit, like the traveling one? No, but I've been to the Shipwreck Museum up north in Michigan about the Edmund Fitzgerald, which is the Great Lakes Titanic. The the Titan the way that it's set up is like it's on different levels, and the farther down you go, the colder it gets and the darker it gets. Like the Holocaust Museum. It's very interesting. Have you been to the Holocaust Museum? I have not. It is obviously very hard because mm-hmm. it is about the Holocaust. But when you go to the Holocaust Museum in DC, no, 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 the one in Michigan. I forgot that there was one in Michigan. Yes, there's a Holocaust Museum in Michigan. And it takes you down like a spiral, like a rampway. And as you go, the hallways get thinner and it gets darker mm-hmm. and it's like it gets more cramped. It's very affecting. I feel like that's a theme because at, at the um, House of Terror in Budapest, you like start on the top floor and you work your way down to the execution chambers in the cellar. Terrifying. Yeah. Christmas. So back to Christmas. <laughs> Sorry, we had to talk about a bunch of like weird global tragedies first. Our uh, main talent is digression. I think that's what makes us so incredibly charming. Agreed. And by that I mean deeply annoying. <laughs> People who listen to this podcast and are like trying to listen to the first episode or whatever, like, are they gonna talk about Teen Wolf? Ever? No. Eventually. Yeah, maybe half an hour through. Yeah. Um, but back to the Grinch, what we should do initially is for anybody who has lived under many rocks, we have to do a sixty second recap. Are no, a time recap. A time recap. So we're going to see how quickly we can get through the plot of this movie, which is a lot more complicated than the book, which the book is like, what, 20 pages? There are no page numbers, so I couldn't tell you, but... It's funny because the actual plot of the book takes place in maybe the last 30 minutes of the movie. Yes. Um, there's no sense of time in this movie, like, no. at all. Except we're counting down Christmas. <laughs> there's like a man who announces how far One minute we are. closer to Christmas and yeah. the town stops. Yeah. Uh, would you like to go first? Sure. Okay. So Julia is going to see how fast she can sum up the plot of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I'm going to forget everything. We just watched it. We this is what happens it. every time. But it's, the crazy thing is I it's one of those things where I've seen it so many times where I'm like, oh, I have no idea what happens yeah. next because I would have to go word for word remembering mm-hmm. it, which I can go word for word remembering this movie, which is maybe uh, a problem. Yeah, but we're not going to go through the script for you guys. So. No, but as we were watching it, we both sat there and said every <laughs> word as it happened on screen. We have never watched this movie together, by the way. This is just no. something that we've always loved. Which, But one of the cool things about that was finding out that we laughed at the same things. Yes. And there were definitely a couple of things that I found much more funny than you did, and vice versa. Yeah. But some of the major things, we both were in stitches. Like, it yeah. was, it's so funny. We would sit there and we would be like, we'd pause, we'd get Cackling. really quiet, and then wait for the funny <laughs> thing to happen and just lose it. I was it's so excited so to talk about this movie, but to, before we actually talk about it, we have to do the recap. Yes. So let's okay. Get going. All right. All right. All right. Julia, mm-hmm. on your mark, get set, go. Okay. Um, voiceover Anthony Hopkins. We zoom in on a snowflake, and we find out that uh, the Who's love to celebrate Christmas, but the Grinch does not. Um, some Who people come up the mountain, and they're like gonna ding dong ditch the Grinch, um, which is a mistake because then uh, his dog Max comes out and scares the bejesus out of them. We're introduced to the Grinch, Jim Carrey, in about ten thousand pounds of makeup and spandex and green yak hair. 
which is what I learned via IMDb. Um, and he, you know, hates Christmas like the Grinch does. Um, flash forward down to the town where everyone is uh, going crazy Christmas shopping, even though it's like two days till Christmas and they really should have like figured that out beforehand. Um, and no one has jobs, I guess. Anyway, um, they are in the post office and Cindy Lou Who is like, ah, I don't understand like what Christmas is all about. And it's kind of, it's really bumming me out. And then she gets thrown into a mail sorter and might get crushed to death, but the Grinch saves her. She then decides that that means that he is like worthy of uh joining the Hubilation and nominates him to be the uh, cheermeister. There's a horrible mayor who doesn't want uh, to have that happen. Oh, she also interviews his lesbian moms um, about like why he is the way that he is, goes up to the mountain to invite him. He's like, no, I'm not going to, and then spends this whole time uh, trying to decide what to wear. He goes down, he's brutally humiliated and uh, decides that he's going to steal Christmas. We all kind of know from the book how that goes. He slinks and he slunks and he steals food from the icebox. They all wake up and then uh, the Who's are like, well, it's hubilation and they're singing. Although by the time that he gets back down there, they're all pretty upset still. I don't know, it's very confusing. And then um, he wins Martha May Huvier, who uh, has been in love with the Grinch since childhood, joins hands with him and they all are singing and then uh, he carves the roast beast and um, that's my recap. That was a minute 45. There's so much happens in this But you movie. also did a lot of commentary with your description. I cannot help editorializing because <laughs> that's what makes it funny. Yeah, but we don't need to be funny No, I know, recap. I know, I know. We don't All actually right. technically need to be funny ever. This is our podcast. And we can do what we want, but we try to give the people what they want. Um, okay. Now that we've done that, Yes. Christian just smoothed the hair away from her face. I think she's ready. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Three, two, one. So the teenagers, like Cindy Lou, whose older brothers, go up to mess with the Grinch, and then they fall off the mountain after Max scares them, and they go back to Whoville, and they're like, the Grinch, and so like everyone is on Grinch panic, and then the Grinch, after that, decides that he should go down to Whoville and like cause some problems, and then he is in the post office, and Cindy Lou, who is having this like existential crisis about Christmas, and he throws her in the mail sorter, or she falls in the mail <laughs> sorter, and then he dish- dishes her out, and she's kind of amazed by this man who saves her because the Grinch has incredible strength. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gift wraps her and she goes home and her parents are like so nuts about Christmas and she's like having all these thoughts and feelings about it and she sings this cute little song and then in her like trying to understand like who the Grinch is as a person she goes and interviews the, all the people who used to know him when he lived in Whoville and she finds out that he has this kind of tragic backstory and then we zoom back up to the Grinch and he like really hates the Who's and he lives alone in this like crazy cave that he's like <laughs> a master electrician and engineer what the hell and so she feeling bad for him invites him to be the holiday cheermeister and he comes after like changing a million outfits to the hubilation and has a really good time until he realizes that um, the mayor who sucks is like still going to win in life even though he's a total asshole and so he tells everybody in who in Whoville that they're just like consumerist assholes and like the Christmas isn't actually what they celebrate it for and blah 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 and then he burns down the Christmas tree and leaves and then he decides to steal Christmas and he steals Christmas and then after seeing that the Who's are not that upset about their presents being stolen which they are but then they're not he decides to return Christmas and they invite him back to the community and he gets together with Martha May Huvier and it's wonderful a minute and 34 seconds okay so, so about 10 seconds less than I did um there's a lot of world building that goes on in this movie so much which is not entirely necessary i'm gonna say but no i I, as i said like the major plot of the movie happens (laughs) in the last 30 minutes yeah Yeah. (laughs) um 
But that's the basics. In case you have never read the book or seen the 1960-something animated version or seen this version or seen the Benedict Cumberbatch animated Crinkle version. Fries, like I... Yeah. <laughs> Why did they make that? I have not seen it. Um, my twin either. sister saw it seeing to, to see if it was any good. It's also on Netflix, I guess, right now. And she was like, ew. But also, maybe that is biased because we do love this version. <laughs> yes, and we've all... Well, we have discussed how uh, J.R. Bourne looks like the new CGI Grinch. Stop! <laughs> he totally does. Um, but I've not seen the movie, so I can't really comment on that. I do love the cartoon version, but it's very much like an hour... Like, 45-minute long TV special yeah. that is a cartoon. Mm-hmm. So it, it does not have the... Uh, layered complexity of the 2000 Ron Howard. No, I actually feel like I never fully watched the cartoon version because it's what you'd watch uh, during holiday parties in elementary school. Yes. I feel like I've seen it all the way through a couple of times because I, there's like a group of them. There's like The Year Without a Santa Claus and there's like Rudolph and they're, they're all like those short kind of like, those are claymation, but those short TV specials. I feel like mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of them because those are my mom's favorite because they're short. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I feel like I never liked the original Rudolph, but the one I loved was Rudolph's Happy New Year. That I that I have no reference for. The baby with the big ears. There's like a baby New Year and he like gets really sad because he has big ears and they all make fun of him and Rudolph has to like convince him to come and be baby New Year. Oh no. I'm I'm very like tried and true. Like they go to the island and misfit toys and like meet the Yeti. No, and... yeah, the sequel to that one is the claimation is Rudolph's Shiny New Year. Happy New Year, Shiny New Year. It's so cute. I don't know why I have like such a childhood fixation on that movie. It's amazing the things that stick with you. Uh truly. <laughs> Speaking of things that stick with us, what works about the Grinch? Going right, right into our bonus episode style, what intrinsically works about this movie besides everything? I really do think that this is like a career high performance from Jim Carrey. Which is saying a lot because Jim Carrey is phenomenal. My high school theater teacher used to say that Jim Carrey was the only person on earth who could act with his butt. <laughs> this movie is definitely an example of that. Why is the Grinch so thick? With a double C. <laughs> um, that's a great question. I don't know. He, I mean, there are some things about his performance that don't totally work, but there's so much, like, winking at the camera. And from all of the trivia that I've read on IMDb, which is my favorite thing to do during a movie is look up the trivia, um, a lot of it was improvised. Like, there's a scene where he is directing Max, uh, which apparently was him just kind of like digging around and making fun of Ron Howard. And Ron Howard saw it and was like, that is hysterical. Please keep that in the movie. Um, I really, he's so dedicated. He went through CIA, like, torture resistance torture training. resistance training. Which, okay, I want to talk about this a little bit. Um, as an actor, it's funny. I've had this conversation with a couple of people a little time, uh, uh, like a, a couple of people in recent times. And we've been talking about how, uh, as an actor, you're cold. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just how it is. Like, you are cold and you're standing around and, especially, I mean, if you're working on film. If you're working in theater, you're probably hot, actually. It's yes. maybe the reverse. But if you're working on film, you're just kind of standing around and you're cold and you're a little bit miserable. And you just kind of know that that's part of the life. Because when you're actually acting, it's the most fun you'll ever have in your life. Mm-hmm. It's the best. Um, so, I do know that there is stuff that you do as an actor that is not always going to be great. It's not always going to feel good. Yeah. When I hear things like Jim Carrey had to go through torture resistance training to do this role, I find that to be majorly unethical. He almost quit the movie at one point. Um, I would have been on the phone with my SAG rep immediately. 
<laughs> day one of that movie being like, um, we have problems. This movie is surprisingly dark for, uh, for it being a Christmas movie. And apparently they wanted Tim Burton to direct it. And, like, we discussed, thank God that he didn't. But yeah, that would have been of, terrifying. Well, it really kind of signals the direction they kind of wanted to go in. Because this is really the only um, Dr. Seuss book with a villain. Yes. So, Her... well, the one, that I, the one that I can think of off the top of my head. And certainly the first that he wrote, like, with a villain as the main character. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's interesting that, like, Jim Carrey had such a tortured experience on the set but I do think that it translated into like one of the most fascinating things to watch it is so deeply committed and I think when you are in that position where you're so incredibly uncomfortable your only option to get out of that is to create a headspace like as an actor where it is not part of what you're doing to like throw yourself into your work not in like a method way I don't think he was doing anything method during this movie that would have been absolutely bonkers um, but to just be so enraptured by what you're doing and thinking about your character all the time so that you're not thinking about the fact that you are desperately uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I have a hard time imagining what it would be like. Uh, yeah, I think the IMDb facts were just kind of like all he could do was like sit around and chain smoke to like just not think about how uncomfortable he was. Because it was like individual yak hairs threaded into a morph suit basically with like stuffing and like all of that face makeup. So he was incredibly itchy. And this was, like, kind of in the early 2000s before contacts were, like, as flexible and nice as they were now. So, just glass on his eyes. <laughs> yeah. It's... Yeah, it's a, that, that sounds awful. Well, it's also, like, I mean, in Harry Potter, they kind of gave up. Because Danny Radcliffe was, like, an 11-year-old being, like, these contacts are bothering me. And they were like, all right, Harry Potter doesn't have green, know, eyes. green eyes. Screw it. Like, yeah. Why they couldn't do that for the Grinch, or why they couldn't have just fixed it in post, which I think they did in some scenes. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, major props to him for getting through this movie. Yeah. I, I actually sometimes wonder, like, if he has good thoughts about it. I would love to hear them. Me too. Jim Carrey, if you're listening. <laughs> Jim Carrey. Um, first about The Truman Show. <laughs> um, yeah. The Truman Show, for me, is my favorite performance of his, just in general, but I think that this is a very close second. Yeah. Um, you don't like Eternal Sunshine? I don't know. Have I seen it? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? I'm trying to think of what that is. What? It's him and Kate Winslet, and it's about the uh, this couple, and like she gets his him erased from her memory when they break up, and he like she doesn't remember him anymore, and then he gets her erased from his memory, and then like Elijah Wood tries to like take his Wait. place in her life. Mark Ruffalo is also in this movie. Wait, what the hell? How have you not seen this movie? I'm telling you the. The pop culture gaps, in my knowledge, are bizarre. You should see Eternal Sunshine okay. as well as mine. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's so good. It's drama. I believe it's not you, funny, but it's very good. I... Jim Carrey is a very talented actor, and I think a lot of people kind of write him off as being like the mask and like Ace Ventura. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it's funny because I think if I did not have an understanding of like acting that I do. I would put him in a very similar category to, like, Adam Sandler, because they do kind of very similar things. But whereas Jim Carrey is phenomenally talented, I don't think I could say the same thing about Adam Sandler having, like, I don't think Adam Sandler is untalented. They're talented in very drastically different ways. Yeah, but where... You know how, like, there's that that meme on Twitter where it's, like, so-and-so could do this... But so-and-so could do that. Yeah. I think that that applies to a lot of things that, like... Adam Sandler and, and Jim Carrey have done, like, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even bring in that comparison. So I think it's interesting that you do. Uh, I think I, when I was a kid, that's kind of like I classed them in the same. Because well, when you're a child, you're watching the same type of movies with mm-hmm. them in it. It's funny. I think Jim Carrey is like an amazing artiste. Have you ever watched his comedians in Cars getting coffee? No. You should. It's very good. It's he thinks about the world and art in like very interesting ways. So Jim Carrey is obviously a high point of this movie. His yes. performance is incredible. It is so dedicated. His comedic timing is unparalleled. Impeccable. And I think, and this is a really large component of the movie that really works, is his ability to clown. He's an amazing clown, and I, I do mean clown in like the technical acting sense, not in the like circus sense, which are both clowns but in different ways. And he knows exactly how like clown logic works. The Grinch has a clown logic. That he follows throughout the movie, and it remains consistent through the whole movie. There, he never once does something that is out of character, which no. one is a testament to the writing, but two uh, is a testament to his performance. Mm-hmm. It is so so funny. What else works about the Grinch? Uh, well, we were talking about this when the movie started. Is the art direction phenomenal? Every single aspect of this movie from the costumes, to the set, to the cinematography and the way that the scenes transition is so well thought out and very Seussian, but, like, taken to the nth degree because it's on such a massive scale. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I want to say, I was looking up some statistics and it was, like, this one woman uh, created, like, 200 pieces of individual knitwear for this show, for this movie. Like, the commitment to the aesthetic and the number of extras that they had and the fact that they committed to all of them being in that kind of makeup. And this is 2000, so it's not like people were, they were going to CGI a lot of this. Um, there are very, really like, real practical effects, minus, like, the tree going up in flames, which is just fake as hell. Yeah. But the, I, I think often, like, when you react really viscerally to a movie, it's probably because a lot of the effects were very practical mm-hmm. um, and not CGI'd. I think about this a lot about the Lord of the Rings movies. Ex- yeah, and that's what makes The Hobbit so bad. This is so bad. All and CGI. you think about like the Lord of the Rings movies, almost all it's practical. A lot of the effects in the Harry Potter movies are practical. And like, I, if you are a big enough nerd like me, you can go through and like you know which ones are practical and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a scene in the sixth movie when we are well into CGI. Where, like, Seamus blows up his eyebrows again. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, a callback to the earlier films, whatever. He does it with a cauldron. It's in Slughorn's class. And I know that that was a practical effect. And not only do I know that because I know it, I know it because you can see it. And that makes mm-hmm. those things so much more affecting and interesting and really places you in the world of those movies. So when you have a movie like this that is so specifically designed, you understand the, the every part about the aesthetics of Whoville, even the parts you're not seeing. And I, I really think that that's a testament to the director. And it, like, I think about, like, Mad Max Fury Road, and one of the reasons why that movie is so appealing is is how practically and how not CGI'd it is. Like, the guy who is playing... The, the guitar does not is not real. Like, it doesn't make sound. But the guy who's playing the guitar on a bungee cord, he is literally on a bungee cord. Like, on a car that is moving. It, like, and, and the director made that choice mm-hmm. to be like, that's what I want. Yeah. And so... Ron Howard. Yeah. And it's funny because there are movies, especially the big blockbusters these days that you watch and you're like, visually can't engage because I know it. I feel how fake it is. That is exactly where The Hobbit fails. 
where Endgame mm-hmm. failed. Yeah, exactly. Because it feels unreal. So unreal. Whereas this is That's kind not of the like, only place where Endgame yeah. failed, but it's definitely <laughs> one of them. Guys, we could do a five-hour podcast on Christian's feelings about Endgame. It's not even so much Endgame, it's that they didn't do Civil War as the final Avengers movie. It would have been so much more interesting. Whatever. Anyway. No, this is not... <laughs> listen. We've already had this argument like ten times. I know. If you read comic bo- if comics books, hit me up on Twitter. We'll talk about it. But other than that... Yeah, no. And when you have something like Whoville with this specific aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And you and I were saying, it is like mid-century in a blender. It yeah. is, you can clearly pinpoint the parts of it that are, like, very 1950s, 40s, 60s aesthetic. Um, the microphones, the recording device. The fridge. The costumes. The, the cars. Yeah. yeah. Um, Her little school outfit. The the house coat that Martha May Houvier is wearing in the, in the final scene is, not the final scene, but when they're holding hands and singing, it is so, like, death becomes her, but that's not the 50s, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, no, I it, It's... So the specificity yeah, like, it's, is gorgeous. It's, it's really beautiful. And I think it's really important that Whoville exists in a place that isn't the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is important that it exists outside of like the technological advancements of things um, because that complicates the way we look at consumerism. Yes. Um, whereas you can simplify it when you don't have things like computers well, or cell phones. Also, I think it's interesting to have it be kind of like that 50s aesthetic because it's post-war in oh this, the post-war economic miracle the, yeah the post-war economic boom in the united states when mm-hmm. you can buy cars and you can buy new homes and like the massive amounts of toys for your children for christmas yeah. because like you're having this the the um advent of yuppie culture exactly yeah um and i i'm sure that that's a very specific choice and i mean it also makes sense because the the book was published in 1957 yeah so um it makes a very important cultural statement, but it also kind of stays true to the source material. Yeah. Um, I think an art direction that I want to talk about is the Grinch's lair cave. Phenomenal. Apartment? What are we calling it? I'm going to call it his house. Like, it's not a traditional house. It yes. is his home, but I feel like it's far too large to call it an apartment. Penthouse? But it's not, not a lair. Him. It's not not a lair. Yeah. Well, because he's a villain. He, he therefore... also says the Grinch's lair. Okay, so it's a lair. Yeah, he Continue. refers to it. Um, the Grinch is a master engineer and electrician. Self-taught, no PhD in sight. He builds that whole sled <laughs> sleigh. A rocket. A rocket. Yeah, he builds a rocket. Like a, pl- a plane. And everything in his house is set for like mobility from one place to another. It is all exceptionally well thought out. The fact that his zipline goes from his bed to his chair down like a shaft and like he fits perfectly like the Grinch would have to be like well if I'm moving this fast at this speed at this angle this is how I have to hit the chair this is how the zipline has to work like the Grinch is a genius and you see that very when there's like a flashback to him being a and making an angel over the top of Martha May Huvier's tree and he's like soldering yeah. a colander to make an angel with like a a little tiny tiny French horn yes Making the Grinch a genius? What a good choice. Oh, yeah. He's kind of like... Did you see Alan Moore made a video about the UK election? By the way, if we have any UK listeners, so sorry. We are... 
And we know how you feel, so. Yeah, and we're not being flippant about that. Like, we genuinely feel for y'all. Even though you guys spent, like, two years being like, that can never happen to us. (laughs) Listen, we also thought that, and. And here we are. You know exactly how we feel. Um, But Alan Moore, who wrote Watchmen, like, made this video being like, I am an anarchist, but I'm voting Labour. Because he was like, I have to vote, like, the Grinch is Alan Moore is really what I'm trying to say. Um, he He's like, the other obvious extension there is that he's Ted Kaczynski, but um, I do not think the Grinch is the Unabomber. Michigan alone for the Unabomber. <laughs> <laughs> he has a PhD from the University of Michigan. Had, I'm pretty sure he's deceased. Like, very much so. Um, <laughs> How do I cut out the fact that you compare the Grinch to the Unabomber? He's a brilliant man who lives in the mountains and steals Christmas. I I don't know. I, there's probably a way that you could. Because I think I feel like I paused. Oh, God. I guess we'll see. <laughs> Guys, I think the Grinch is, like, a low-level hero, and I think the Unabomber is an abysmal creature, just to let you all know where we fucking stand. We're not sitting here applauding the Unabomber. It's not funny. No! It is always a little funny, though, to be like, Michigan alum, and then be like, H.H. H. Holmes. God. H.H. H. Holmes went to Michigan, too. Do we have a problem? I think any university probably has... Um, One serial killer on their list? Yes. Probably. Especially a university with, like, a large medical school or engineering school. Yeah. Which many do, because that's how... Universities work. <laughs> I, I really derailed the conversation. I'm yeah, so I sorry. Um, so, what else works about the Grinch besides? No, no, no. Hold on. So, Rhea the Grinch's lair. What I think is really phenomenal is that he has like made a home for himself that is suitable for Grinchiness. And kind of Max, but it is also something that is only suitable for Grinchiness. You know, like, it is an isolating experience to live like that. He's the only... It's kind of implied that he's a different species. Like, he... It is also implied that there was another Who baby that ended up in a Grinch town, and I want to watch that movie. That sounds... I feel like that's the cat in the hat, though. Maybe. Um... Yeah, no... Because he, like, eats glass. He eats the Santa plate. Yeah. As opposed to the cookies. The he, excellent year joke. So funny. When the Grinch eats a bottle of wine, <laughs> like a wine bottle, and is like, excellent year. It definitely looks like a beer bottle, though. Oh. But I, the, but I know the joke is that it's a wine bottle, but it yeah. looks like a beer bottle. I, he eats glass, yes. <laughs> yeah, he eats glass. He eats an onion with the the, the peel. Do you want to say wrapper? No. Oh, yeah, the peel one. The no, I was, I was trying to say rind. Okay. I don't know. I actually don't know what the the skin? No. Yeah, let's say skin. Yeah. He doesn't peel the onion is really what we're trying to say. He just bites it like it's an apple. And I feel like there are probably people in this world who do that, but... Uh, with, like, bell peppers, though. Not with onions. I'll eat a bell pepper like an apple. Gross. There's <laughs> seeds in there. You just eat... You eat around the seeds in the apple, too. Same way. Yeah, but it's not... It's not... They're not as many. I'm sorry, I'm having a really hard time 
I hate peppers, so, like, that's just a visceral issue for me. There's this picture that goes around Twitter every once in a while that's somebody brewing tea in a bell pepper, and Madison sends it to me, and my sister Madison will send it to me and be like, that's you. <laughs> that's disgusting. Whatever. Um, what else works about this movie? Moving past the Grinch's apartment, house, lair, bat cave. Um, overall, and I feel like, I feel like this is hard to say about a lot of things, but I think the writing is really solid. It is unbelievably intelligent. And I was saying to you earlier about how there was a really strong trend in, like, comedy in the early 2000s where everything had to be referencing something else, Mm -hmm. which a lot of the time falls flat. I don't really like the elbowing because a lot of it doesn't stay topical. But the brilliant Mm -hmm. thing about The Grinch is that any referencing of other things, with maybe the exception of the Weight Watchers joke, which was definitely a joke of the time and not really a joke now, is you still know exactly what he's doing. Like when he's doing the diving commentary, yes, we all still show up to watch the Olympics every four years and watch people do diving or whatever. Um, I mean, and I love that he breaks the fourth wall. I love that they made that choice and then kind of stuck with it because he does it multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of, like, he's aware of the narrator. Yeah. Which is, ins- like, insanely smart. Yeah. I think that's the best kind of way to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's movies where that really works. Like, I think Deadpool is probably the best example, but that's a lot of the Deadpool comics are done. And then movies where mm-hmm. it doesn't work, where you're just kind of like, that was unnecessary. But it doesn't happen too frequently in this movie for me to feel like it's it's unnecessary. Um, but I think it works every time he does do it. You know, it's funny because I think that if I were someone who had not seen The Grinch as a child and you, like, pitched the idea to me, I would walk, go into it being like, I'm not going to enjoy this. Similarly to when I went to see Deadpool and I was like, I'm not going to enjoy this. I loved it. Deadpool's great. I loved it. It was so good and it was so funny. And it was, like, it's it's very smart Mm-hmm. It's very smart, and I think that the Grinch is very smart. It's it's a movie for adults, yeah, really, the, and yeah. for like older teens. Yes, and we'll get to that when we talk about what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, but the writing is very funny, and we both have jokes that we will quote daily, like with our siblings to each other. This movie is very, very incredibly smart um, as far as the humor goes. Even just random stuff, like when he says "Blast this Christmas music," it's joyful and triumphant. Is incredibly silly and funny but you have to know that he's quoting joy to the world to yes. get that and when you know that it's which most people will who's watch, who are watching the grinch it is just like a reference to like your frame of understanding of the mm-hmm. world and christmas and it is just good it's just good what well, he also says like oh the humanity which is like the hindenburg wkrp in cincinnati like it is it is in the zeitgeist yes um and as such doesn't really fade away mm-hmm. um and then, and then there are also things that, like, are just, they're just funny by virtue of the way that they're presented. Like, when Cindy Lou Who asks him what Christmas is all about, he, his head pops through the tree and he's like, vengeance! Yeah. That is so funny. And it's not referencing anything, it's just, like, the delivery and the speed at which things are exchanged. It's, the fact that the Who's have a post office... That village cannot be more than five square miles. The entirety of Hoodum exists in the clown world. They even have the noses. It's crazy. It's great. And like we were talking about how one of my favorite jokes is the I'm an idiot, you're an idiot. Yes. Mm-hmm. So funny. It is so funny. There's a scene, which if you haven't seen this movie, 
why are you still listening? There's go watch a, it come back. Go watch it come back. There's a scene where he's talking to the Echo in his lair because he's lonely. And he's getting annoyed with the fact that the Echo is saying what he says back, which is how Echoes work. <laughs> and he says, I'm an idiot. And the Echo says, you're an idiot, which is just so funny. So the Echo is self-aware. <laughs> the Echo is self-aware. It's so good. There's a lot of random kind of magic. Yeah. going on in yes. the show. It's kind of magical realism in a way. I don't even think it's magical realism because it doesn't exist in the real world. Well, I think it is straight up fantasy. It, it is. But like but within like, the rules of the rules. rules. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that there are rules. That's, that's my thing with fantasy. Fantasy needs rules. But that's what I'm saying. I don't think this is fantasy. I, think this, I don't think this is magical realism. I think it's yeah. fantasy with very strict rules. Which it exists so separately from the real world I don't think it can be considered magical realism. Yeah. It's on a snowflake. It's say like the major part is like the realism missing. Yeah, <laughs> I Santa actually, exists in this world, so Santa literally we see Santa. The who's ever Santa? Yes. Um, and that the adults believe in, which because he's real, yeah, which is funny. Um, yeah, it's good. The the humor is so good. The writing is so good. I think the pacing of this movie is excellent. It's crazy. Like we said, the book takes place in the last 30 minutes, and the fact that you can make a movie that is compelling the whole way until the book starts... It's an hour and 15 minutes. It's pretty long for a kid's movie. Which, I think we need to talk. Is this a kid's movie? No. No, it's terrifying. Um, it's terrifying, and not really in the way that kids can watch things that are terrifying to adults and find something completely different in them. Coraline. Coraline, exactly. Or I think that How the Nightmare Before Christmas is a lot more appealing to children than it is to adults, because I kind of watched it in my tween years, and I was like, this really freaks me out. But I think if I saw it at, like, eight or nine, I would have been like, oh, this is just so cool, you know? And... But I really do think that the Grinch kind of falls into, like, you're a teenager and you find this funny. And the older you get, the funnier it gets. Like, the yes. key joke. Which one? The key bowl. The bowl. Oh, yes. The yeah. fact that the, the, the moms party. are having yes. a key bowl party. Yeah. Yeah, you don't understand that until you're a joke. And then you're like, these ladies are crazy. They're mm. having a key bowl party. And they're lesbians. That, too. That you get later <laughs> in life as well. It Yes. And I also think a lot of the language the Grinch uses, specifically because the Grinch is a genius, mm. he's using words that I did not know the meaning of until I was in high school. The audacity. The unmitigated gall. <laughs> yeah. Which, is that the best <laughs> line in the movie? Maybe. I probably knew what audacity meant, but I don't know if I knew what unmitigated meant or call. Or he's like the avarice. Yeah. And you're just like, the what? So uh, clearly the person writing this is very smart and sees the the Grinch is very smart. But if Mm. you are like nine, and it's funny because I think the major commentary I hear from people who don't like this movie is like, it just scared me and I didn't get it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't really know how I grew an attachment to this movie because it came out in 2000. So I was a widow. I was about six at the time. So I would have been four. So, and I don't know if I saw it then. We've owned it on DVD for a long time. Yes. I remember the DVD being gold, which was weird. The shiny part of the DVD was gold, not silver. Interesting. Yes. Maybe because it's Christmas? I don't know. I don't know. Um, That DVD (laughs) spun many a time in my mom's (laughs) Honda minivan. It's very much the kind of movie that you're gonna watch with and I don't know why this keeps coming up for us 
probably because we just we have siblings and that's like a part of our life Mm -hmm. but like it's the thing that you watch with your siblings when it's like midnight and your parents have gone to bed and you like have wine and you have like cookies and you're like we're gonna watch the Grinch yes and it's super funny and then you kind of like drift off towards the end and you wake up and you're like oh Martha May Huvier is here yeah it's oh things that work in this movie Christine Baranski this movie is star-studded Christine Baranski, Jeffrey Tambor, who is a jackass, but we won't get it. We don't have to we get don't have that. that. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave um, that politics out. Molly Shannon. Molly Shannon. Taylor Momsen prior to... Um, Her first thing. Yeah, for Gossip introducing Girl. Taylor Momsen. Um, Lil J. She's so small. Very small. She is brilliantly cast. They really did just find, like, the sweetest little child. Her eyes are so huge. They're so big. Her little song. Her bangs are so blunt. Dude, I was also having an existential crisis about religion (laughs) at eight years old, so that's crazy. I can really relate. She seems very, very small. Um, She Yeah, the amount of famous people that they got to be in this movie. And I, I feel like Christine Baranski is famous to a very specific group of people. Like women and gays. Women and gays. Specifically gay women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and now, of course, everyone knows her from Mamma Mia, Mia. uh, in which she is phenomenal. Um, But her as, like, the 50s housewife, Martha May Huvier with, like, the Christmas light gun cannon, which is, like, the sexiest thing I've ever seen. Um, Wow. Yeah, I said this to you while we were watching it. Nicole Kidman in Moulin Rouge wishes she had what Christine Baranski has in this movie. Christine Baranski has an it factor that, I mean, literally once a day, I will sit straight up and think about the video that some Twitter person posted of Christine Baranski saying, gay rights, like, (laughs) constantly. I love her so much, and she is so good in this movie. She is. And it's funny, because she has a really good, silly, like, her way about, like, dealing with, like, her Grinch feelings, like, because the whole idea of Martha May Huvier... She's hot for the Grinch. Has, yeah, has mm-hmm. the hot to the Grinch, is so funny, because she does talk about it in a way where it's just kind of like, who, me? Couldn't. I could never. But the Grinch. And it's wonderful. It is so, like, fake coy. Mm-hmm. And then the scene where the Grinch gets dumped out into the jubilation and then lands face first <laughs> in her titties. And... <laughs> Instead of it being weird, which they could totally make that weird, and I think this is a really good comment on the actors and the directing, where he just says, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's really funny. It's so good. He's sitting there, his face is in between her boobs, and he just says, hello, Martha, like old friend style, which kind of how it is when you ever meet somebody that you used to have a thing with, and you just show up and you're like, hello. What's up? Well, and the yeah. thing that I love about that moment is that it easily could have turned into this very lecherous, like his face is in her tits, like yeah. in them. But he's just kind of like, this is what happened. Hello, how you doing? Like, it's just like, the, this is fine, dog. Yeah, this is fine. And then yeah. we we move on. Yes. And there's another kind of moment where he comes and like grabs the mistletoe from the engagement ring box of the uh-huh. hideous engagement Hideodorous. ring. Um, and you think it's going to be like a tit joke, but it's it's not. It's it's him like grabbing the, the mistletoe. And I think that that's so smart. Yeah. I mean, I was saying to Christian that, like, all these who's have sex, which is, like, the worst thing to think about. But it's true. And, ah, uh, she's just so good mm-hmm. in this movie. And I, I had a thought we were talking, and I, I had forgotten. That's okay. No, she's really good. Um, all of the acting is good, really. Even little Taylor Momsen. She's so young. and 
Well, you know what I'm actually thinking about is that we we recently watched Ice Princess, and that movie is phenomenal. And I bonus episode. I don't know, but bonus episode <laughs> on Ice Princess. Let us know if you want it. Um, Do you guys want me to talk about figure skating for like years on end? Do you want to talk about the emotional complexity of relationships between women? Uh, but like Teddy, hot as hell. A terrible actor. Yeah. Just every time he talks, I'm like, I wish you would stop talking. There was no person in this movie that I was like, I wish you would stop talking so we can get to the actors who are, <laughs> yeah. like, good at acting. No, everybody's good. Everybody is good, and everyone is 100% committed to the bit, which is being a necessary. Who. Yes, you have to be so invested in Hoodum and Hooderee, quoth <laughs> uh, Mayor Augustus Mayhew. And it works. It really works. Um, and I think the directing is really good, too. I think Ron Howard's self-awareness as the director of this movie is very important as well. Like, Ron Howard is a prolific director. I do not know how the Grinch fell in his lap or whether or not he volunteered to do it or wanted to do it. But He, I mean, I'm sorry, but he's the, I, what? <laughs> he's the director that they pulled in to direct Solo when they uh, had shot the movie and Lucasfilm was like, uh, we fucking hate this. And Ron Howard was the guy that they thought of to come in and fix it. And he reshot 70% of the film. So, like, Ron Howard is the kind of guy who is so established and so prolific that you're like, oh, our movie is sucking. Fire the director, bring in Ron Howard. And he ex- explores his prowess in this movie. Like, it's... Yeah, he it's does really such smart. a good job. We were talking about, like, the, the cine- cinematography, um, about how strange it is. Mm-hmm. Because if the cinematography had any kind of, like realism to it no if it was a if it if the whole movie was just shot reverse shot of like all these people talking you wouldn't be able to encapsulate any of the magic but because it's coming from like down left up over a giant crowd of people and you're just watching everything happen in like that weird angle mm-hmm. as you might if you were like one of the tiny who's the very small ones the very small ones you're brought into this really weird weird world and it works so wonderfully and it also kind of intensifies in moments where, like, the Grinch feels conflicted when he comes down to be, like, the cheermeister and he's literally being fed pudding and sometimes not pudding. This is not pudding. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> um, like, the kind of the camera angles of coming up, like, from underneath him or, like, spinning around in the transition a la PowerPoint. Like, it... It... it really mimics like kind of how the Grinch is feeling in that moment and like it's it's all kind of wacky but it intensifies in moments when you the audience are supposed to be feeling like a little bit uncomfortable oh and I also think that he gave a lot of trust to Jim Carrey to just do what was going to be funny I want to I want to have been on that set because I want to know like what the direction was there's a moment when Jim Carrey comes home and he is like putting on a robe behind a screen and he is behaving like a werewolf? Yeah. And I'm just like, what was the direction in the script? What did Ron Howard tell him to do? Did Jim Carrey just go behind the screen and be like, oh, you're going to see my uh, shadow. Wouldn't it be super funny if I did X, Y, Z? Yeah. Like, what ha- What was going also, on? Also, what was the point of him putting on the robe behind the screen because the Grinch is already naked? <laughs> he is naked the whole time, <laughs> except for his socks, which he then pulls off. And, and they he- crawl away. <laughs> it's disgusting. So funny. Or I think, I think probably the most iconically, like, memed scene of this movie is when he's picking his outfit for the jubilation. Ooh. Uh, that's it I'm not going exactly one because it's incredibly relatable it is so relatable when you're like well I look ugly so I can't be seen in public but the other thing is just kind of like 
the weird stuff he's doing with it. And I have to just think that Ron Howard was like, Jim, go ahead. <laughs> the, when Taylor Momsen, is that her name? Momsen, Taylor Momsen. Anyway, when she shows up to invite him to the Hoobalation, he's trying to scare her away. And he's like, I don't know how to express this. When he's like, ooga boogie. Yeah, and he's like yeah. growling and like going in and out towards the camera. But like the camera is also moving forward while he's doing that. Like it is insane. And Ron Howard must have just been like, do whatever you can to make her laugh. And like, we'll cut then. The, yeah. Like it is just so funny. And I feel like my mom, my mom used to say that I had to get, I had a quota of words to get out every day or I would die. And I still you feel do. like, yeah. No, I feel <laughs> As your roommate, yeah, you do. <laughs> but I feel like that's still the case because it, it's not, at this point, it's not even like words, it's like sounds. And I deeply relate to that because when he's like, oh, ah, like, and just like contorting his body in different ways. If I'm literally standing in front of the fridge trying to decide what to eat, that's like what I'm doing. It's, it's so, so relatable. Yeah. So directing amazing. I think after just gushing nonsensically about the stuff that we love about this movie, which is because we love this we movie. We do, and it's so weird to be like The Grinch is one of my favorite movies because it's so exceptionally polarizing. People will either be like, "You have bad taste," which like, of course I have bad taste. This is a podcast about Teen Wolf, or <laughs> or they'll be like, "Uh, The Grinch, um, okay," and never think about it again. But like it. Like, it's something that I regularly talk about with my sisters, both of whom mm-hmm. are very, very culturally aware. Like, my older sister's an actor as well, and my twin sister went to art school, so she has, like, opinions about things. Like, we are all people who engage in so much media and, like, can really pick out the good from the bad, which is why I feel very sound about my opinion on The Grinch. It's objectively good. Yes. I mean, look, and don't get me wrong, if we're going to move into what doesn't work about this film, there are, are quite a few things. Which is fine. Because Which is fine. no film is perfect. Mm-hmm. And especially because, and I think what what most people react to when you say, oh, The Grinch is one of my favorite movies, they're thinking of it purely as a Christmas film. And when you consider the pantheon of Christmas films, and I'm going to tell you that this is not my favorite Christmas movie. No. My no, favorite Christmas movie close. is White Christmas, and then like second to that is Miracle on 34th Street. Like I love the tried and true classics, really sappy um, Probably the, a musical um, Again, the sadder the better. Uh, exactly. My favorite is It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and that, ladies and gentlemen, encapsulates our friendship. But, um, like, if you're if you're coming at this from the perspective that this is a Christmas movie, I don't think you're going to like it very much. No. Because it has very little to do with Christmas. I mean, the color palette is very similar, and obviously the whole idea is that it's quote-unquote about Christmas, but it, it's not... Really? It's more of a character study. Yeah, and like Christmas is just kind of this nebulous idea. Christmas is the vehicle for the story of the Grinch. Yes, and it's much more about like American consumerism and, you know, like not finding meaning in things that you used to find meaning in because they've just kind of become this rote performative Or because they're used against you. Yeah, and so I think that this is a really good... And I do kind of wonder if it appeals to people who are not American, because this feels like a kind of a, a distinctly American film to me, but I could be just reading that. If you're not American... Let us know. Let us know. Um, That's and, really the only perspective we can come from, because, yes, we, because are we are American. Yeah. From the United States. Um, 
Yeah, I think like I ever heard that Prince quote where somebody was like, "Hey, you're from Minneapolis, right?" And he's like, "I'm from my own state of mind." It's like, no, you live in wherever I live in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I think if you're coming at this from the perspective of this is a Christmas film, probably won't work for you. Mm -hmm. But I find that very odd because there are so many people in this world who are like, "Die Hard" is a Christmas film. It's not. It happens during Christmas time. But it's an action film starring Bruce Willis. Like, and it's great. And there are movies that I will give that to. Like, I know you've never seen it, but like I will always say that In Bruges is a Christmas movie. And there's this really great A B Club article about it that's like In Bruges perfectly encapsulates the existentialism of the Christmas season. Mm. Because it's set in Christmas, you're in Europe, you're in like Belgium, so it like should feel so Christmassy, but it doesn't, which is often how Christmas feels as an adult, where you're like, I should feel engaged. And, like, mm-hmm. if you are a person who celebrates Christmas, or even a person who doesn't, and you're just sitting here being like, why does everybody else get to have this, like, you know, joyous experience in December, and I'm just forced to sit through something I'm not invited to? Mm-hmm. That's how it kind of feels. And that's a little bit how the Grinch feels. The Grinch is sitting there being like, everyone is sitting here embracing this, and I am not welcome, don't understand it, and not invited. And I think it also came out in a time where I think a lot of, like, the Christmas classics came out within, like, a 10-year period Uh of each other. And then The Grinch comes out in 2000, and, like, you've got Elf, but I'm having a hard time thinking of other more contemporary Christmas films. Love Actually, you have The Holiday, which is actually one of my favorite Christmas movies, with the exception of Cameron Diaz. Sorry, but you ruined it. I don't think I've ever seen that, actually. The Holiday? Yeah. Jack Black, Jude Law, Kate Winslet, and then, like, Kava and Cameron Diaz. When you say Jack Black and Jude Law, I just have a very hard time. No, it's really Um, good. No, I I believe you. But I do think that, like, Christmas movies kind of come in batches. And so, like, The Grinch was kind of the first after a long time of not having any new Christmas movies. Yeah, I guess there's not a lot of 90s Christmas movies I can think of. No. I know the second I say that, we're going to get a million Twitter mentions that are like, why didn't you think about Herdeder? We are only two people. We are two people. <laughs> um, and we are dumb. <laughs> and then there's also like the advent of, I mean, I know that there are Hallmark Christmas movies, but I think Netflix has kind of upped the Christmas movie factor. And I know that there are a couple that I really love, like uh, A Christmas Inheritance. <laughs> so bad. It's awful. But it's starring um, Eliza Taylor, who is on The 100 and also, um, is, I just love her. And so, of course, I've watched it. And then there's like A Christmas Prince, which is so good and so terrible but it's like it's on its third movie now so I think Netflix is kind of reviving this Christmas genre genre. and The Grinch really kind of stands alone in this very weird kind of uncanny valley as you were putting it earlier um, fantasy world that kind of stands on its own and was unreplicable because they tried to make the Mm -hmm. Cat in the Hat movie which was terrifying. Uh, guys, I've never seen the Cat in Hand movie, and Christian just showed me a clip of it, and I literally can't believe that was a real thing that came out in theaters. Yes. I saw it in theaters, I think. But I was also, like, mm, six, so that makes sense. Like, that's, yeah, standard. Um, and that's not even a comment on Mike Myers, because I think that he is fine. It's just, like, they could not replicate what they did with the Grinch. And yeah, it's annoying, because it's funny, because the Cat in the Hat is actually maybe a better story. Well, you know, it's funny because you brought up the lighting when we were watching it, and I think that that has a lot to do with kind of understanding where we're at in terms of the world. And even just watching that very short clip of the cat in the hat, it very much seemed like kind of your normal everyday, like run-of-the-mill real-life situation. I mean, and yes, there's this cat in the hat in makeup, 
and the kids are wearing kind of like odd costuming, but I think the lighting really helps with this movie trying to understand that it's in a completely different universe. Um, well, you didn't see the rest of the cat hat movie, which I actually think the lighting is interesting because it's always sunny and it takes place in like oh, this weird, like Susian version of Pleasantville, basically. Ooh. Yeah, so it's like very it's mid century, but not in the way that cat cat in the hat is. It's like very like everybody lives in a little house in the perfect row and blah 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 blah. So the lighting Pleasantville, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it that lighting makes sense in that context. Um but yeah, I do think the lighting is important, especially the amount of light sources in the Grinch. So you have all the Christmas mm-hmm. lights and you have all the weird lighting in his lair. And you really don't even see sunlight until the sun comes up on Christmas morning, which is fascinating. Yeah, it's it all kind of happens like it all takes place in the gray. Yeah, it takes place. Um, like my dad has this thing to describe like this thing that you often see in the Midwest, but he calls it Moscow rain. Where if you are standing in Moscow, it's never super snowing very hard, but it's never not snowing. It's just kind of like gently gray and always a little bit flurry. Mm-hmm. And that's how the first part of the Grinch is. It's just Moscow rain. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of oppressive, I will say. And there's, this movie is incredibly funny, but it's also sad. Sad, yes, which is why adults are like, ah, oh, yes, me. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, but I think that that's part of what makes it not work. For yes. certain people. Is so let's move into that officially because we're an mm-hmm. hour into this podcast. Wow. Um, we can gush about the Grinch for many hours. Many hours. Um, what's what? another thing that doesn't work? I think primarily you? the fact that this is not a children's movie. Mm-hmm. It works for me because it works for me personally. Yeah. Um, but I, the reason why a lot of people hate this movie is because it terrified them as children. Um, it's, That's... it's unsettling. It's isolating. You can't even understand all of it when you're a little kid. And, again, it's very dark, lighting-wise and in, in subject matter. That is why I can't stand It's a Wonderful Life, is because I saw it when I was a child, and I was like, this movie is horrifying to me. And I've never watched it as an adult to move beyond that, because I was just so traumatized by watching it as a child. And I know you have a completely different experience. You just weren't so in love with Jimmy Stewart? <laughs> no, I, Jimmy Stewart's... I have. I'm, I feel ambivalent about him. All right. Um, because he's not Gregory Peck. Um, no one I don't heard know that. that. I, I love Gregory Peck. Um, no, I just think Jimmy Stewart, just, you know, he's just very Jimmy Stewart, you know. That was a very good Jimmy Stewart impression. <laughs> Thank you very much. I can do Jimmy Stewart and Sean Connery, and that's about it. Also Bernie Sanders. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you're not a, if, if you're a child when you watch this movie, I can see where it will traumatize you to the point where you don't want to see it. And even speaking, like I mentioned Uncanny Valley, even speaking in like the most literal sense of the Uncanny Valley, where you're watching somebody who's supposed to represent a humanoid and can't pass, mm-hmm. is uncomfortable. Well, it's funny because I think that a lot of the things that work about this movie make it not work to certain people. Like, the humor is really inaccessible to a young child. Like, the key party... Who, you're not going to understand that until you are more of an adult. And even then... And even then, people don't throw keyboard parties anymore. And so if you do, you're a freak. <laughs> so it's not, like, part of the lexicon no. anymore. Um, and so you're right when you say that it's kind of alienating in that, like, people don't understand the joke. And they don't. And if you don't feel in on the joke, it's hard to find a movie funny. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, there's this is the pure fact of the way that... Uh, Jim Carrey is speaking in this film is he hard has to a, understand. A very strong affectation. I wouldn't call it a dialect, but it's definitely like a way of 
speaking that is consistent, which is good because that mm-hmm. makes it less isolating because it's the same sounds over and over again. Um, and I think he makes brilliant choices in his dialogue as an actor. But if you aren't, if you don't know this movie, if you're watching it for the first time, there's no way in hell you'll get all the jokes. And in fact, there was points in my life as an adult where I'd watch it again and be like, that's the first time I heard that. Honestly, today I had to rewind um, the movie to catch something that he said. You walked away. You'd walked away. Okay. Like, no, I, I, like, <laughs> I know I had to go back like 15 seconds because when Cindy Lou Who was telling him that there was an award and he won, he was like, oh, that means there were losers. But he says it in such a way that... Sorry, the lights just came on at the gym. Um, he says it in such a way that I have no idea what he was saying. So I had to, like, rewind it. But if you're seeing it in the theater or if you're watching it with your family for the first time, it's it's hard to be like, ah, that was funny because I heard what he said. Because sometimes it's it's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, and some of the moments... I will say that some of the moments, like, with the Who's and Whoville feel kind of stiff. And this might be my own distaste for Jeffrey Tambor, because I, I don't like him very much, um, like, as a person based on what I know about him. And I also just don't think that he's, like, he's not a very funny person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's, like, the worst part of Arrested Development. Um, and so some of that doesn't work for me. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about that, but... Um, I don't know if it's him specifically. I think there is some stiffness coming from some people. I think... <laughs> we talked about, like, the mayor's assistant who doesn't get a name. There's some queer baiting in this film. It's not even... No, it's not queer baiting. I'm not sitting here no. feeling baited wanting him to be a gay character. You're right, I am wrong. annoyed by the fact that they are making fun of a gay character. Yeah, and then also the, the women who raise the Grinch um, are referred to as the aunts. They're lesbians. They're, they're lesbians, Harold. They are, Harold, they're lesbians. They're married to each other. And you know what? They might be of any particular persuasion, but they are two women married to each other who raised this baby Grinch. Um, but I also feel like, and hear me out, the year is 2000, and you write this script where the Grinch has lesbian moms, and someone says, that's not going to fly. It is amazing to me the kinds of things that did fly through this movie. Maintaining a PG rating. Yes, because it's not. <laughs> the key party. The key ball we, party. We keep going back to that joke. No, that it's, one joke. Yeah, but it, that, that not even just that one joke. Like, there's other things that happen where you're like, oh. Well, I was reading actually in the trivia section that Jim Carrey has, like, apologized for certain jokes that made it into the film. And he was like, so much of what I was doing was improv. And I really, you know, some of it was deeply inappropriate. And I was kind of relying on the people who edited this film to decide kind of what vibe they were going to go with. And so some things that, Do you like, know what jokes in particular? I'm not sure... 100%. Like, do you mean, like, in, like sexually inappropriate jokes or, like, jokes that are too old for children? Or do you mean, like, culturally inappropriate jokes, like, I think like standards? I think, like, age-inappropriate jokes or, like, sexually inappropriate jokes. Okay. And I, he didn't mention specifically, like, what those things were. But I do think that if... I mean, Jim Carrey carries this movie on his shoulders. The Grinch is on screen 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. And so he was given so much freedom to improvise is what it sounds like from everything that I've read. Mm -hmm. And if, I mean, Jim Carrey's an adult man. Of course he's going to make certain jokes. I also feel like when you're improvising, sometimes Mm -hmm. you, when you're flying literally, and like, I don't, I'm not excusing people making 
insensitive jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say you're a person who's talking in front of an audience. You're not necessarily considering who was all in the audience. Well, I mean, it happens to us even when we're doing the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Yeah, sometimes I'll drop an F-bomb and be like, that was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Or we'll, we'll say something that, like, makes sense within the context of two people who know each other and, like, have had these conversations that support that comment that we made. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense in the grander scheme of people who are going to be listening to the yeah. show. And so I think that that's very, a very similar thing where, like, Jim Carrey was kind of doing his thing mm-hmm. and relying on the people who oftentimes make movies worth watching. The whole reason that Mad Max Fury Road is worth watching is because the editor... The film mm-hmm. editor, like, made it incredible. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I feel kind of bad that Jim Carrey's had to apologize for that because he was, like, doing his job. But now I'm sitting here being like, what, what was, was it inappropriate? Yeah. <laughs> well, and also, like, what did he feel compelled to apologize, apologize for? But now I'm trying to think there's mm-hmm. anything culturally insensitive. I feel, I, I don't know, I wasn't really... If you notice something, if you're offended that, by something in the Grinch... Please let us know. Yeah, because... Also, I feel like we are two people who love this movie so much where we, like, turn that little blind eye sometimes. Which yeah. I think people do with media they love. And, I, I mean, I've also seen it a million times, and so there are some times where your brain just kind of, like, shuts off when you're watching things like yeah, that. Yeah, it, like, auto-corrects things mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, today, there's a part where the Grinch is literally standing on his uh, balcony, shall we say, overlooking Whoville, and he's got a telescope. And this was the first time I ever noticed that one of the legs of the telescope is, like, a plastic leg, a la... Uh, it. What is that movie with the lamp leg? Oh, um, your Christmas story, which yeah. is my actual favorite Christmas yeah. movie. Um, I that movie like totally does not sit well with me, and I don't really like it. But um, it's like a family thing. We always do the twenty four hours of the Christmas story. Yeah. On TBS. So. Um, but the, I mean that was the first time I'd ever noticed that there was like a leg on a telescope. So yes. there's a lot of minutia in this film to notice, mm-hmm. uh, even if you've seen it a million times. Which speaks well to the people who made it because they wanted the people who got it to be smart and mm-hmm. to be thinking about it and to always find new things, you know? Yeah. Because the person who made that telescope leg was like, nobody will ever see this but the people who do. <laughs> well, they gets hilarious. Yeah. There, there are definitely certain references to other Christmas movies or even like in the... In the mail sorting, when uh, there's that stamp that says fragile, mm-hmm. that's oh, obviously yes. a Christmas story. Sorry. Yeah, like, it's fragile. Yeah, it must be Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I really, I don't know. We were sitting on the couch being like, what are we going to say that doesn't work about this But there movie? is stuff. There is stuff. I mean. It is terrifying. I mean, like, uh, we talked about the lighting. The fact that so much of it takes place in the dark is weird for a kids' movie. With a green light too, yeah, um, which kind of makes everything seem very eerie. It's a little like there's there's parts of this movie that are kind of like horror conceit. Mm-hmm. The fact that we don't see the Grinch's face while he's talking for the first little bit, and then he has to turn around and gives like the sort of it smile. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You get a Pennywise right. smile from the Grinch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, there are stuff, there's stuff that, like, doesn't work because, I mean, doesn't work for a young audience. I think that's creepy and awesome, but, like, this movie is rated G. It was advertised for children. Lots of children walked away being like, that scared me. Um, So that doesn't necessarily work. I was actually reading um, that when the 2018 Grinch came out, the classification of the 2000 Grinch changed. Because it originally was labeled as, like, for five to eight-year-olds. And Mm -hmm. then when the cartoon one came out, the second cartoon one, it got bumped up to, like, nine and ten-year-olds. Because, yeah, I don't want my five-year-old watching that movie. No, they'd be so scared. 
So, yeah, the language is alienating. It's not for children, and it is scary. And there's also, I mean, I guess jokes that are inappropriate for kids as well. Um, which I don't necessarily think about because I'm not a parent yet. I don't... And sometimes I do, like, if I watch... If I'm watching movies with, like, my young cousin, who's mm-hmm. not young, she's in high school, but that still means that I'm gonna somewhat monitor what she watches, because um, she's 14. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I am thinking about not showing her certain things, like certain R-rated movies that should maybe be NC-17 or whatever. But because I'm not always thinking about, like, what I should and shouldn't be showing children, like, that's why The Grinch can sometimes just fly by me as being fine, because I'm not thinking about it through parent lens. My godmother will often ask me if certain things are appropriate for her children, um, like, media-wise, and it really... I really have to sit back and think about it for a while if it's like books or movies or music mm-hmm. um, being appropriate for her kids who are like, 15, I mean, they're 15 now, so there's not a lot that I would say that's not appropriate for them. But if I were sitting there and I were like, I'm a parent now, I think this movie is something that I would get really excited to show my 12-year-old. Yeah. And yes. not my 5-year-old. Yeah. Um, because there's, there are so many other Christmas movies that would appeal to a five-year-old and particularly all those like claymation ones, the animated ones, mm-hmm. um, or even like the classics really yeah. that are Because they're about, just dance numbers. Yeah. Um, this is something that I would really want to show my like really hip socially aware 12-year-old. Yes. As opposed to And I hope that if yeah. I ever have a child and they're 12, they're socially aware and hip. Um, do we want to wrap up what doesn't work? Because I know we don't have a lot. And I'm sure people listening have a lot about what doesn't work. And if you do have a lot about what doesn't work, tell us. Because we want to hear. We want to hear it. Please tell us. Because we don't, we, this is, this, with the exception of some movies, for mm-hmm. the most part, this podcast is an echo chamber of us just being like, <laughs> well, yes, I agree. Yes. <laughs> so please tell us if you don't agree with the Grinch. Um, on that note, let's talk a quick cultural legacy. What impression did this movie leave? I it did beget the Cat in the Hat movie, but then the Cat in the Hat movie made it so no other live-action Seuss movies would ever be made. I think people still think about this movie. We clearly do. We obviously do, so we might be biased in that thought. But, I mean, the, we were talking about the, like, the meme of the Grinch being like, ha, back and forth at the camera. Yes. That was a recent meme. Like, people mm-hmm. are, are thinking about this movie still. I think it's something that because it is timeless and it doesn't make jokes that are specific to the time period, it lives on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely like I think it's firmly set in the pantheon of Christmas movies that you might watch with your family. Um, sorry, drop some more things, please. And the people who are in the film have gone on to do other things. Like Jeffrey Tambor has gone on to do. Uh, arrested but development. a lot of these people have like very assured careers. Yeah. Molly Shannon was famous when this movie was made. I actually, I genuinely don't know what Jeffrey Tambor had done prior to this, but he really, I mean, at least from my uh, perspective, really kind of took off in terms of television after this. Taylor Momsen obviously went on to do Momsen. However, you say her name. I said it already for you. I it's Taylor Momsen. It is one of those things where like you you have said it in your own head one way forever and that's how you'll continue to say it like she was on gossip girl she is the front woman for the pretty reckless um which i don't know if you listen to them i yeah. I never have but jim carrey was way famous before and he's way famous after he's kind of gone mm-hmm. away in recent years but i think he has different art he's working on 
Good for him. Yeah. Um, Christine Baranski continues to shine. We love. We love her. Mamma Mia 3? No. Two were enough. Two was enough. Two was great. No. No, no, no. Are you saying that two was bad? No, two was good. Okay. We just don't need a third. No. And we, if we, we do, it needs to be like the in-between time. Yeah. And it just needs to be Dominic Cooper. Doing love. whatever he was doing. I love him. Um, I Yes. Dominic Cooper, the first Mamma Mia, is like my dream man. In the second Mamma Mia, when he literally gives up his job to come back and support his wife because that's what she wants and he prioritizes her feelings and emotions. But he does it for the first half of the movie. He does fuck that up at first. He does, but eventually he comes to his senses and was like, my wife's happiness is more important than my career aspirations. Yeah, but you can't beat the tension between Dominic Cooper and Amanda Seyfried in the first one when they were, like, dating. Literally, achievable. uh, lay all your love on me when she's, like, crawling toward him in that one-piece bathing suit. A plus. Peak. Peak cinema. So good. <laughs> Literally, like, there's whole movies that are, like, supposed to be, like, these movies are, like, so passionate and intense, and you're like, yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey can't touch that You scene. could literally <laughs> never replicate Mamma Mia. Never. Ever. Nope. Um, I think this movie lives on. I think it does, too. It's readily available on Netflix, which I don't think it would be if people didn't care about it or didn't watch it. That's true. There are movies that just, like, fall into the ether. Um... Like the cat and the hat movie. You should watch the full thing. It's really <laughs> wild. There's a scene where they go to like an underground rave. It's very strange. I really do think it would traumatize me at this stage of my life. No, I feel like it traumatized me as a child. And that's why <laughs> I still remember it. Um, should we do our final grades on this movie? Yeah. Um, before we do, I want to let everyone know, because this is such a polarizing um, movie, I think this is really indicative of that in that it has a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. So 50% of critics were like that shit was awful and then 50% were like I don't know. Amazing. Amazing. Um Roger Ebert gave it a 2 out of 5 4 stars. So and it's got a 6 out of 10 on IMDb. Um I so just, very it, like is very as polarizing as which is funny cuz mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to get people being like this is why this movie sucked and we'll be like oh I totally see where you're mm-hmm. coming from. It it definitely plays to certain people's humor and uh, sensibility. If you're like, like a totally terrible person that. who hates consumerism, like <laughs> you'll love the Grinch, not unlike ourselves. Yeah. Um. But I actually have two personal ratings. Okay. So like me as a human being who has seen this movie a million times would give it like an A plus 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 plus. Yes. But as a Christmas movie, I would give it a C minus. It's not a Christmas movie. Because it's not a Christmas movie. It's terrifying. You can't show it to children. (laughs) It uh, doesn't make you feel holly or jolly. It's too dark, literally and figuratively. um, And, like, all of the incredible art direction in the world, like, can't lift it to that, like, iconic Christmas And it's funny because maybe the lightness of the cat in the hat was, like, in response, but that also didn't work. But also, consider this. Maybe Dr. Seuss, the way that it is, is purely meant for animation. Yeah, well, and that's kind of what works for me about the animated version from the 60s. It's just all, uh, it's all narration. It's not, or even, like, the Horton Hears a Who movie, which was, Mm -hmm. like, I don't even know how people perceived it, but I remember being, just, like, being a relatively cute movie. I, I think, I think it's really difficult to translate children's books into film, Purely because of the lack of backstory, mm-hmm. um, 
in the actual source material and so then you have to make it up and I think that they did a great job in The Grinch but again that's coming from like my own personal perspective and if certain elements of that don't work for you that's yeah. totally understandable but yeah if you can sit here like as adults we can sit here and be like The Grinch is the way he is because of childhood trauma as a child, <laughs> That's you're not like, I don't understand how this got to there. You know, you don't see the one to, you don't exactly. see it to A to B. Yeah, okay, so my rating of The Grinch is an A, probably an A+. plus. I watch it every year with my sisters. I really do like it. And if you are a person who doesn't celebrate Christmas, you are free to hate this movie. If you're a person who loves Christmas, you're free to hate this movie. If you don't celebrate Christmas but you love this movie, Awesome. How'd you get this far on the podcast? <laughs> we love you. We love you. Um, but I, I think it's really hard to talk about Christmas movies and not like understand how much of Christmas culture is kind of a... Um, like, without getting too dark about it, it is like a representation of like sort of the Christian dominance of like Western culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's cool about The Grinch is that it does in part rebel against that. Yeah, I mean, it's not... What is interesting about the end of this film for me is that the father of Cindy Lou Who comes up and says, Christmas isn't X, Y, and Z. But he never comes out and says very explicitly, like, what Christmas is. Because so I think the Who's are pagans. It, it kind of... It, it leaves it up to interpretation. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's funny because we can be, like, secular Christmas is one thing. Like, there are people who are like, oh, I celebrate Christmas secularly. And that basically means you light a Yule log and put up a Yule tree and give mm-hmm. your family offerings, which is the pagan Christmas, so it's not secular. It's just, like, the bastardization of Christmas from, like, the Christian perspective. So it's funny, because you can say Christmas is any one of these things, but it's inherently tied back to one type or another of, like, religiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's interesting that he's, like, it's not presence, but it's also not anything else. Yeah, well, and as someone who, like, is religious, I'm not looking to these kinds of movies to give me a deep lesson about what Christmas is. It's about Christ, I get no, it. No, that's what Midnight like, Mass is for or Exactly, like, that's what, you know, exactly. Like, I'm not, as a, as a Christian, like, I'm not looking mm-hmm. for these movies to give me guidance on how to be a better person like Christian like yeah. how to be a how to be better I don't think religion. any Christmas movies do <laughs> no that. none of them do and so I think that that's kind of kind of where you have to approach this film mm-hmm. is like it's it it exists as the like cultural idea of Christmas rather than the religious aspect yes. of it yeah um good summation so we yeah. get it's A's from us we love the Grinch um, and so much. We do. And we hope you guys have a really wonderful holiday season, whatever you celebrate, if you're celebrating anything this December, um, if you're not, Happy New Year. And we hope that you get a good break from all of the stress of working and you know, being a human being, yes. honestly. We hope that you get at least a day to yourself to take a deep breath because that's what it's all about. And mm-hmm. then by the time we talk to you next, it'll be 2020. 2020. Ah wild we're back in the 20s we're gonna start wearing flapper dresses dadaism will be at its peak and we're headed for a major financial crisis if we add some waistlines to flapper dresses i'm here for it but otherwise i they're will for just... skinny women and skinny women yep. only. Mm. um and other than that we hope if you guys enjoyed this bonus episode you guys leave us a review on itunes if you'd ever like to contact us 
You can hit us up on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore ReWolf. That is also our Instagram handle. And from there, you can find our personal Twitters and Instagrams. We're on Tumblr at TeenWolfReWolf. And if you'd like to send us an email with, like, any thoughts or whatever, we're just TeenWolfReWolf at Gmail. We will happily read it and possibly put it on the podcast because we, again, echo chamber. Please let us know. Yeah. We'd love if you have thoughts, we're going to share them. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, we hope you guys not only have a wolf of a week, but a wolf of your holiday season with oh, a Z. Yeah. And we love you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.